heard a lot about this uh, show, the ex-candidates. This has been a pretty thorough interview. These institutions which we've been told to respect and trust are actually completely untrustworthy. Have you confirmed that you are negative before attending tonight if you are unvaccinated? I still see people with masks on and driving and they're in the car by themselves. So you can pay my electricity bill, you think, that was spared. We're teaching them about what it means to be a pansexual instead of teaching them how to do your taxes. It's no for me. I say no to the boys. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Ex-Candidates. My name is Stephen Tripp and as always I'm joined by Adam Zara, the One Nation candidate for Campbelltown. How are you tonight, Adam? I'm pretty good, Stephen. How are you going, mate? I'm very well, thank you. And on tonight's episode we have Rod Lampard from Cauldron Pool. How are you tonight, Rod? Good, mate. Thanks for letting me have Yeah, no, it's great. Show. It's great to have you on. Before we get your background, can you Give us a little bit of information about Cauldron Pool, what it is and what it's what you're hoping to achieve there. Well, Cauldron Pool was established to give Christians a voice in the political arena. Um, we consider ourselves to be pretty edgy. Um, we try to be as relevant as possible and um, bring the, the gospel to the um, marketplace of ideas because we believe it belongs in the marketplace, not the museum, to quote a theologian called John Stott. Um, and we try to, to present as fair of um, fair representation of what's going on as possible um, by reporting the news, not trying to write it the way that the legacy media does. <laughs> yeah. And how do you I, – I, I go through your uh, the Colden Pool site and you write so many articles and you also write for The Spectator and other areas as well. How do you pump out so many articles? <laughs> like it's across everything. It's passion, I guess. Yeah, it's calling – I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we, we've been uh, – I'm not sure if you've heard of the Trusted News Initiative. Have you heard that, Heard of that? No. Okay, well, um, Robert Kennedy uh, Jr., he, he uh, exposed this in uh, his, his uh, lawsuit. He's suing basically the, um, this cabal, you know, a, a monopoly on the, the news. And he's used a very clever approach. What he's used is a, a law, an anti-competition uh, no, sorry, it's not an anti-competition, a competition law in the United States, I forget exactly what it is, that um, says that you can't you can't use, uh, you can't band together basically and stop others from having a voice. And so the Trusted News Initiative was basically a, a, a combination of um, or, or a connecting of uh, big tech, big media, and um, they came together and censored a lot of the stuff that, um, that around COVID, this is really what started there, they're fighting misinformation, right? Um, and they took basically became the trusted, the one trusted source of, of, of news or truth. And so that's what, hence the trusted news initiative or trusted, yeah. And um, so that's the T and I have, have banded together to censor all sorts of voices during COVID, even professional, medical professionals. And so Kennedy's come out and he's like fighting this um, with a, a few others and uh, in a very clever way, just pointing out how, um, they've done this to squash competition, not to censor, uh, not to police misinformation. And so this was um, this was brought about, I think, in 2020, 2021, when COVID, you know, this is all post two weeks to flatten the curve. Like, I'm always like, okay, two weeks two weeks were, were like legit. Okay, look, we needed to figure out what was going on. I supported the yeah. ban, on, you know, travel bans and stuff. Yeah, makes the sense, right? Yeah. But then you start going, hey, these politicians are getting a little bit too too excited, right? And you're like, okay, 
what's going on here. And then you see the media start to come on board and say, yeah, how this relates to Coles and Pool Base because we've been censored pretty hard on Facebook. I mean, our, our we have like to over 30,000 followers and you, you might not get as many interactions uh, as that. Um, in fact, you get quite limited ones. It's, it's pretty obvious that the Trusted News Initiative has, um, you know, got us on a blacklist of some kind. So, yeah, it's in that you know what? We're not fearful of that. We'll just continue to show up because that's what that's what courage is, right? Regardless of whether or not they're going to put the, the gag on us or whatever, and um, we'll just try to reach out and reach as many people as possible with um, with the truth and a little bit of commentary or some opinion pieces that represent the gospel in an honest way and a, and a raw and a real way, not one that's sugar-coated like you might hear in so many um, some so many pulpits these days, you know. So yeah. I was going to say, just with your with your Facebook and stuff like that, have you noticed that you can see when it's been tightened up, and then when they loosen it up a little bit, like it's no, it's never always. Oh, I, the in my personal up. page, I, I think my personal page has a nanny that sits over it. There's someone. I, I mean, and that's that's a theory I have, but it's just it's crazy. You just go, okay, nah, we're not going to let that go. Oh, okay, we'll let that go. No, I know they work with algorithms, so I mean, it's a. I'm probably wrong about that, but I, I'm not not sure. I mean, you look at what the Twitter files have revealed. They were definitely targeting accounts. They were definitely targeting personalities and groups, and it's all part of that trusted news initiative cabal, right, that monopoly that um, basically is used to shut down competitors like independent media who are trying to get the news out there, and um, that's why I think Kennedy's approach is, man, is brilliant. I mean, he's, he's a Democrat, right? He's a lefty. So, I mean, but you've got to, like, you can give credit where credit's due, you know, and, and I think that in this case um, we, we can agree that, that he's on the right the right path, you know. Yeah, well, definitely. And, and as Adam was saying, you can definitely tell, like, because some posts you, you put up and gets no interactions at all and then suddenly you put something up that's really obscure and it just yeah. gets all these hits on it. But what what led you to the to what you're doing now, writing for Cauldron Pool? Uh, have you always been religious, or were you led to this somehow? No, man, I hated Christians. <laughs> I had a passion. I was I thought they were all a bunch of hypocrites. I honestly okay. thought they were all a bunch of hypocrites. Oh, I, I, like I was in a Christian school, right? A Catholic school. Now I have been around it for a very long time, and um, but I was wrong. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there are hypocrites. There are fakes out there, no doubt about it. Yeah, but when you you find the real deal, then you, there's something about it that the the community that there's something behind that that is just much more powerful than any words can describe. You know, um, I uh, I always had a pretty rough upbringing, as I shared before with you guys, but um, and I've shared that before, and that's kind of led me to write a lot about fatherhood and things like that, but uh, and brokenness and things. But um, yeah, it's just it's. God transformed my life in a way that that I could never do myself. It's certainly what we call the the transformative power of the cross. The um, when you live it out, it's it it, it takes traction. You know it, that's why you find it. So many people give it lip service and they have the appearances, but there's no substance to it because we live in a society that's all about appearances, not substance. Right. So you have the the as Paul writes to his young protege, you know, Timothy. Um, they have a form of godliness but deny its power, you know. So that's, uh, for me, coming from such a, a heavy, broken broken place, abandonment, parental stuff, you know, all sorts of issues, um, to to have 
and be set free by something that that is really indescribable. This grace, this this um, this power that comes from beyond us is um, you know, to some degree it's unspeakable, but speakable. But um, you know, it, it's it's been described as indescribable, and I think that's probably accurate because unless you've, you've encountered this, the, the power of the cross and, and how, what it means, um, you know, something that was a symbol of death has become now uh, a sign of victory, not our, not our victory on our behalf, not something we've done, but something Christ has achieved for us. And you just have to look at the world around us today. You know, there's, not, there's no one more persecuted today than Christ. You don't hear Buddha's name when someone kicks their foot against a, a table. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't yeah. hear Hollywood going, ah, Buddha. Yeah. Or, or any of the yeah. Hindu gods or, or the name that shall not be named. Oh, Allah yeah. and his prophet. Yeah. You know, you had that happen, then what would happen? You'd have flipping people burning down everywhere. But, you know, you can, yeah, look, it's some, it's a powerful thing and it's been transformative in my life. And I certainly haven't got here on my own, my own back. So as far as writing for Cauldron Pool goes, you know, I, as a kid, I was like, a, I had some skills, I guess, and, in uh, primary school and family broke down and I sort of ditched those and picked up music and, and I went in a, a tangent and just found my way back when um, I did a theology a theology degree and I kind of went from there really and stumbled into Cauldron Pool in eight, 2018 and I've just been uh, back in Ben ever since pretty much with um, with posts and stuff and it's just really a passionate calling. I mean, it, you're not going to get a whole lot out of it because as you probably, guys probably know that the conservative movement in Australia, um, it's fairly, it's fairly broken. I mean, yeah. everyone's doing their own thing and trying to fight over the scraps. And yeah. I think that, um, I think that's, that's a real, that's what's holding a lot of, uh, a lot of it back. And I think the, the public looks at that and goes, well, who do we trust? Who, do, who are we with? You know, what, what's going yeah. on? But if, if everyone's going to, oh, every man for, its, every man's for, for, you know, for himself, um, we need to start working together, I think. And there are people I, I know I've spoken to who have a, have a passion to bring that together. But, yeah, um, I, think I think it's it's important. I think with conservatism too because conservatism is kind of like not extreme. So when, you, when you're talking about why I'm kind of like breaking it down is, you know, it's very easy for the left wing because it's at the moment so far to the left it's kind of like, you know, it tapers down to a point. So everyone's kind of like on this same target. Whereas with the conservative side of things, there's still all different levels of conservative. And obviously there's extreme conservatism too. So we don't want to really go there because that's not a great thing either. But what I'm that's saying right, is yeah. you want to, we're in the middle. There is so much room to move left and right. So what happens is I know that I'm, like, I consider myself to be conservative and Stephen considers himself to be conservative. We were just having a discussion before this about he doesn't believe in really kind of banning anything. And then I kind of like, depending on the topic, right, but we, we were just having this conversation before. And and I'm like, well, I kind of do believe in banning this. And this was regarding the um, uh, uh, not ban. sorry, so he doesn't like banning it. I wanted to stop as well the um, where this new legislation regarding the. Um, yeah, the transgender stuff transgender stuff and things like yeah. that no, the conversion therapy. therapy that's yeah. right sorry the conversion therapy i was just I've, i flicked it off my screen i've got a screen over here and i i had flicked it to another screen that we were talking about and i'm like ah 
the conversion therapy, you know. But, you know, so, and we were talking about this off, off air, but, you know, like, it's all so vague and it's all written so vague, so you can't define it to actually get a stance behind it. And I feel like this is something that the left kind of do as well. So, and I think that's where you conservative guys, because we're not extreme, right, you, you kind of there kind of go, well, I interpret it this way and Stephen interprets it this way. It could probably be interpreted that way. So then we all have three different points on it and then they've kind of got us running around in a stupor because we just don't know where to stand on it. So that's what I feel like the left is kind of, it's a bit of a tactic, you know, to kind of ruin the conservative. Yeah, the distraction is definitely part of the zero-sum game that they're playing. And they can trap you, put back you into a corner like um, they did with Ben Bethany Hamilton this week, right? When she oh. said, oh, I'm not going to support that, again, transgender, right? Yeah. I'm not going to support the World Surfing League um, inclusion, the equity, Eddy, equity, diversity, inclusion policy. And then they start calling it, oh, you want transgender people to die. And these slogans, what's with these slogans? They did the same with COVID. Hey, you want grandma to die. Come on, man. No, I don't. It's, and, and I, just, I want a reasoned Hamilton. argument, right? Give me a reasoned argument. That's right. But Bethany Hamilton's the surfer. She had her arm taken from a shark, didn't she? Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah that's right. Sorry, I just wanted to double check. I've seen that. Um, I saw that movie once that was made about her. But, so yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. But what, it's also yeah. But yeah, you're right. You're saying that's what you're saying. You know, like give us something. You know, they don't they won't debate you. They just call you a name, and so, then, so it's the, a massive the, slogan. It, I think that's a byproduct of the education system, and that is that we ditch theology, civics, and logic. Logic, a big one, right? Mm. Um, I'm not sure if you're Richard Dreyfuss's stuff on Instagram, but Richard Dreyfuss is a big. He's big on this, and he's he's a huge Democrat, right? Again, we really, these there are people on the other side of this that that. Um, that are on our side, you know, and these many, yeah. many things. So you've got to find these 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 guys and team up with them to some extent. I know Eric Metaxas did this with Richard Dreyfus about uh, civics, an important subject. And under, they've only just brought in Hass, which is which is kind of covers a bit of civics, but it's still, man, it's still got that CRT stuff in that that anti-white woke apologism or sorry, sorry, white guilt apologists who come along and say, you know, you're you've got white skin, so therefore you're you're evil. Um, it's that that kind of crazy, but back to that kind of conservative thing you're talking about. I think the best way to discern to describe conservatives, like we're talking about that that group we're talking about, uh, we're the children of classical liberalism, or to be more specific, the children of Christ-centered classical liberalism, which is Burkean um, theory. If you look at his uh, writings about uh, the French Revolution and things like that, he's like the French Revolution has gone too far. It's you know other things, and he talks about the American Revolution and the the the, the ceasing of habeas corpus uh, by the the king, and you know, like he criticizes the king for that. Um, you know, it's a really good stuff. It's really good stuff. So if you give you a chance to read some of his stuff, go for it. But yeah, the, the children of classical liberalism, especially the Christ-centered classical liberalism, which is the freedoms-based, you know, uh, individual responsibility. Uh, all these things we we are it is as a movement the antidote to you know the children of work classical mark a critical cultural marxism and i think that uh if we can we can band it together under that banner of being the children of classical liberalism you know we're the defenders of of freedom essentially uh and against what i don't know if you've read the rod dre book live by lies where he talks about soft totalitarianism um, very, 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 very good book, especially considering COVID. And he wrote that in 2020 or just before 2020, and he's talking about COVID. Um, and I think some of the things he said uh, probably as far as COVID goes, I mean, it was too early for him to – it needs to be updated basically. It was a bit too early for him to to really predict some things. But 
I think in post, I think he would have to, he would have to edit that. I would not edit it maybe, but like I said, update it and add some things to it about definitely about therapeutic totalitarianism and things like that. But soft totalitarianism is like neo-communism, right? Um, and you have that in the cultural Marxist view of things, which the left says, oh, it doesn't exist. It's a myth of the far right. And this is another one of those things you're talking about, a slogan, like we're considered to be far right. Therefore, we're extremists. Define extremism. You look at this trend, banning conversion therapy, and they can't even define that. As I said, to bring up the uh, bring up the article about um, the guy in Malta um, that I wrote about a few weeks back, it's, it's, it's on the Colgen Pool website, and you'll see there that this is an ex-LGBT um, member of a community who's reaching out to ex-LGBT people uh, in, in a way that is uh, pastoral. It's, it's caring. It's loving. It's it's. It's bringing them into a, a proper or a holistic definition of what love is other than this vague love is love, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags, full, full, full sir, love that they think is some kind of Christ-like thing. I mean, they, they even have their own version of Jesus, right, like the Marxists do, the, the social justice warriors and things like that, when in reality, and I've written about this, and my view is that social justice warriors essentially are the brethren of Iscariot. They're not the brethren of Christ because if you look at what Jesus, you know, Judas did when Jesus ha had the woman, you know, put the, the perfume on his feet, Jesus is like, we could have spent that on the poor. That's exactly the same stuff that's going on. He just was completely clueless, um, but, you know, he had an agenda and it was very, it was deceptive and, you know, he'd been stealing and stuff. So um, when we look at that, you see, well, I'd have to say, well, you know, come back to Rodrea's points about soft totalitarianism, propaganda that goes with it. Where are these lies? You know, and he's quoting when he says "live not by lies." He's quoting Solzhenitsyn, and uh, as we know, he's you know, um, Gulag survivor, exiled to the West, whole whole shebang. There are a lot of parallels that he hits on, which I think are, are pretty important. And um, if we can, you know, that disunity I think we have is, as a conservatives, I think if we can, we can come in under that that heading of children of classical liberalism, especially the Christ-centered classical liberalism, because I think. My my theology is this, that God is free. It's a very kind of a Calvin thing, and Luther brought, brings into that conversation as well, um, that God is free and our freedom is derived from his freedom and the freedom that he, he gives to us. Otherwise, if without that, it's nihilistic. It's it's empty. I don't know if you guys have seen the, the Paramount Plus series um, with um, McGraw and, and Hill in it, uh, 1883, yeah. uh, Western things. You saw it? Uh, well, yeah. it, it's pretty good man but you know the the nihilistic it's very nihilistic and it is it's very devoid of um morality in that sense that there is no external objective morality it is just do what's right in your own eyes and that that is like a throwback to ancient near east living you know nothing new under the sun so yeah i mean augustine called it in the city of god that when he, he criticizes the the uh theater and the plays that were designed to appease the gods, he calls it them entertaining the delusions of demons. And I would be reluctant to put that on the the the, you know, the conversion therapies because I do know some bad things have happened in the name of Christ and and uh, with yeah. homosexuals and things. Look, I agree that you know, just like it's just like with um, traditional gender roles, right? Uh, look, they're healthy, but they can be lived out in an unhealthy way. So when you have um, someone praying for someone, when you have someone, is that what they mean by conversion therapy? Yes, it can be abused. Yeah, things do take place and have taken place. But 
if you blanket ban something without defining it properly and bring it into law, you're forcing people to break that law and you're making them criminals. Is that the intention? And that's yeah. what we'd have to ask. So if that's the intention that we're being, then we're definitely in neo-communist, um, soft totalitarianism territory. Well, like what you're saying, so like say you have a, you're, you're a Christian family and your son or daughter comes up to you and says, um, you know, I'm gay. So you might pray over them and say, you know, that, you know, pray over them and say, you know, show, show them guidance. Maybe they're confused, you know, show them the light or whatever it is, right? And you leave it at a prayer, okay? But then if you performed an exorcism on, on them and, you know, basically damn near killed them with from an exorcism, then that would be the extreme of it. So you would have to yeah. define that inside the legislation, saying that you could pray. Yeah, exactly. You're allowed to pray yeah. for somebody to make the right decision and have the light, you know, guide them for their best future. But I then think you could, the best rule, though, is individual responsibility. Yeah. We don't need new laws. Yeah. Because they're Trojan. This is a Trojan horse. There's no doubt yeah. about it. Just like the voice, a Trojan horse. Yeah. With the, with the voice, I mean, I know we're going on a bit of a tangent here, but with the voice, you've got propaganda to the max on the yes side. It is just everywhere. In the Trusted News yeah. Initiative, and like we talked about those guys, they're pumping this stuff right through. Yeah. And you, you go, I can give me a reason to argument. And they're like, no, fight with your feelings. And Albanese's done that, right? You fight with your feelings. What do you, what would you, how would you feel? How would you feel? Well, you know what? Does that really matter when we're dealing with objective law and we, that has to be interpreted once it goes through by lawyers? And again, is that the intention? Do they want lawyers to interpret that in a way that supports their political agenda? And if that's the case, again, soft totalitarianism, it's, we're no longer, there's no longer, um, equality justice for all it's justice for some and mm. that's that's a huge problem right so with the voice my um my theory is that uh, my big problem with it i think is that i'm not sure if you're familiar with the doctrine of blood and soil uh, 1930s aryan belief um uh -huh. the volk right the volk the, the people could participate into society the folk people folk right the only people who could participate in that society in aryan society were those with aryan heritage Okay. They were connected to the land or they had a spiritual connection or somehow to the land. And I think that it's just a question I have about the voice and nobody seems to be answering. And I've put it on Twitter a few times now. You know, where is, where is the, there's a parallel here and I'm concerned about this. Are we, you know, embedding ethnocentrism into the constitution in a way that reflects that? Okay. Okay. Well, we might not be Arianism we're talking about, but it doesn't matter. Sin is sin and it, it crosses all boundaries and it permeates the human heart, right? If we're talking about this, why do we have these laws that call justice for all? Because we know deep down, because we are the children of classical liberalism, that we need good government to uh, push back the bad, the, the, the evil, to, to, you know, to do that, to bring about some righteous judgment, good judgment, just war, those kinds of things. Yeah. So with the voice, blood and soil, I see it as a dangerous thing. Um, and I don't see it as anything other than that. And I think when you look at the voice we already, already have for the Indigenous people in Parliament, yeah, and I think they're, they're they're doing great. Jacinta's doing amazing. I mean, even Lydia Thorpe. Look at look at her. I mean, she's yeah. I've got some issues with her politics, and I don't agree with her on pretty much everything. everything. But man, she's a powerhouse for the Greens. Where she was, she, she quit right, but she's a powerhouse, and she's she's doing she's representing the Indigenous population. Probably not as a whole, more like the Greenies in you know Sydney. I'm sorry, yeah. Melbourne, but you know my point, right? 
Yeah. It's, it's, but the thing is, she was she she stood up and said that she's she's opposing the voice, and then that's and well because she wants the treaty first and all we you know all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah. But yeah. um, kind of a little bit like um, Kennedy Jr. Right? Like so you know left wing, but then yeah, if they're doing. Although right I think her, I think her agenda is different to our oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I think okay. that so we we definitely. It'd have to be a very loose alliance if we were to say we agree with her because she's got a complete. What did she say? We're there's a war and we're they're killing us. I mean, oh yeah, on, uh, I'm not a, yeah. I'm not a fan at all. Don't get me wrong either. But well, I just, like I, I said, I, I said I, my, my my if you want to learn about Indigenous history, watch the Bush Tucker Man. Yeah. I mean that is solid stuff. It's great. It's on YouTube. It's free. And to the credit of the ABC, they did an amazing job with that show. And he, they even went into the 90s and stuff. And he's ex-army, right? Or well, he was army at the time, but ex-army. Uh, Les Hiddens, man, he's a legend. Very, very cool. If you want to learn about Indigenous people, man, just the, the culture and everything. Because they're, they're, they're different. You know, Kimberley, you've got Arnhem Land. But you can't enter Arnhem Land without a permit, right? So I mean, we, we look after the Indigenous people. And we're trying to do – we've been doing better and better at it every decade, every year. But – this woke stuff is coming in. It's coddling. It's patronism. You know, I, mm. I don't think it helps empower individual responsibility. I think it gives more power to the government over individuals, and that is that is a distinction. It's a distinction I think is very very important. Australian people need to make because we do have this acronym army. You know, LGBT, CRT, BLM. It's all incorporated. It's all it's all got big money behind it, yep. and. Um, if we're to really provide a voice not just for the Indigenous Australians who are vulnerable and I think being used as puppets by these activists, um, we've got to get behind them and give them their voice in the, the no arena so that as children of the of classical liberalism, we can stand up against the the children of, you know, Work cultural Marxism. Marxism. Yeah, well, Rod, you, you've uh, you've given us plenty of meat on the bone, and my brain's just going around <laughs> trying to oh process. I've got so much more to read. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot, but I think a lot of it comes down to something that uh, what our can well, one nation candidate in Parramatta raised with us a, a couple of episodes ago, Marit Anjay um, Singh. Um, he talked about post truth, which is. A flow on yeah, yeah. modernism, whereas the truth doesn't matter anymore. It's about how you feel and how something, you know, the emotions yeah. that you get out of something. And I think I've also been doing a lot of work with a lot of the younger people, especially people that are in schools, and trying to hear what's actually happening in the schools because there's a lot of left-wing indoctrination happening in right, the schools yeah. Yeah. that no one wants to really admit. But I think conservatives, like Adam was talking about, like we might all not always be on the same page. I think that's because we're a lot more individual, like we're individuals, like we think, yeah. on a, you know, our own, and we don't, we, we don't want a big government uh, right. trying to tell us, you know, how to live our lives. You know, we want, we, we want to take some self-responsibility. I think we all need to have the courage to stand uh, up to these leftists with all these, you know, woke ideology in terms that, you know, they throw about to get us on the defensive all the time. We need to stand up to them and, and say, no, it is about truth. If you, if you want to take something like the voice, we're not going to vote on how it makes us feel. We're going to vote on what, what we, we should be voting on. And we and Adam and I interviewed uh, Kerry White not so long ago, uh, who was an Aboriginal elder, or she is an Aboriginal elder in South Australia, and she's saying that they don't want it. 
Jacinda Price is saying they don't want it. Yeah. Warren Mundine is saying that they don't want yeah, it. Yeah, he is. Yeah, big time. Aboriginal people, people saying they don't want it, but Albanese's up there going, well, don't listen to them. Don't listen to any truth. Just vote on how you feel. We need the courage yep. to be able to stand up and say, no, we're not going to just vote on emotions. We're going to look at issues, uh, you know, we're going to look at issues um, properly. And if, if we can't, you know, if, if our view is um, controversial, we're just going to have to say it. Which brings me to religious freedom. Yeah. Because, you, you know, you're a religious man, you, you're writing for Colton Pool. Religious freedom is a big focus of One Nation in the upcoming in the, uh, New South Wales election. When it comes to religion and expressing your religion, do you feel free to do that? Like if you're going to quote a passage from the Bible, do you feel, do you feel that you're openly able to do that? Mate, I would do it anyway. Yeah. I mean, I would not fit into some of the workplaces. My, my, some of my family are in daycare and, um, you know, they, they have welcome to country. They don't do the national anthem. Hmm. What the heck's wrong with that? These kids yeah. are not learning Advanced Australia Fair, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> being civics, right? Right there. Not not civics. You've got indoctrination or neo-paganism if you want to look at it. That post-truth comment that you made, um, mm-hmm. it's very interesting that he said that considering that the label post-Christian goes with that, the post-Christian age, post-truth age, mm-hmm. because John 14, 6, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? So um, John the Evangelist putting that out there. But um that's that's kind of what I mean by Christ-centered classical liberalism. You're talking about uh, us being able to be individuals, and, and that's because freedom of speech. We can speak freely and disagree freely and respectfully because we're brought up in those traditions, those, that healthy tradition of respecting you because I respect your right to speak. I respect your right to to, to tell me that that's like, you know, that. That, that you disagree and I think that's healthy for any family. I think that's healthy for the society. But which you, when you have, no, you've got to sit down and shut up. Look what happened to Bethany Hamilton. Just bring it back to Bethany Hamilton again. Hamilton mm-hmm. again. The irony of that, any given day, she'd be slammed, the, the people attacking her would be slammed as misogynists yeah. or, or, or women haters. Not Because she, she gave, basically she gave seven, seven questions. She didn't make a whole lot of statements. She just gave seven questions and really concerns she has about the decision that, that was made. It was done without consultation from the broader surfing community, those who are part of that, those stakeholders who are represented by that, that organisation and, and participate in that. And it's a similar thing with The Voice. We, we're all stakeholders in this, not just one section of the, the, the Australian community. To say that, uh, one section of the Australian community is more important than the other, and we're in dangerous territory right there. But we can disagree with about that because we have reason, arguments, logic. We bring logic back into here. Logic is about form, formulating arguments, and you know, theology, um, classical education talks about theology and how theology helps us to think about the world around us, not in a sense of. Um, uh, you know, that, that we are brainwashed, but that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is one of the big distinctions between Eastern mysticism and Christianity. A lot of people are adopting Buddhism. A lot of people are adopting some of the Hindu beliefs. And when we look at post-Christian or post-truth, 
this this is what's happening. You're, you're just ditching that transforming of the mind for the emptying of the mind, which is, and I, I did martial arts for a few years. This was before I was I was a Christian, and um, I went through the motions of you know meditation and things like that, where you empty your mind and and you black you black everything. Everything just goes black, and there's nothing that you're just entertaining nothingness. And it, it's something that I've taught my kids. It's very important to be thinkers and doers. Uh, and when you, you hear the term, oh, well, you're not very open-minded, it's another one of those straw men that get thrown out people uh, quite often. And you hear the, the pushback, oh, well, if you're too open-minded, your brains are full, that kind of thing. Well, yeah, that's true. But, look, we are to be renewed by the transforming of our mind, to not be conformed to the world, which we know is, um, from a Christian point of view, is, is governed by um, evil, the corruption of good, the, the father of lies. Uh, so we had to conduct ourselves um, in a way that is corresponding to um, the one who provides a remedy for that, and that is truth. That is grounded in truth because God is truth. God's word is truth right there. It's an objective truth spoken to man. It comes from God. So it confronts us. It, it challenges us. And I think that's why a lot of people today, other than, the, you know, look, the church has had a lot of people, bad pastors, there are a lot of victims of abuse out there, and I sympathize with every single one of them. I agree that that's nasty stuff, you know, whether it be sexual abuse, spiritual abuse, bad doctrine, you name it. But that shouldn't stop them from picking up the Bible and just getting in and getting in with God and then and just praying and, and living the life, you know, as best they can. Um, because there's there is truth in it. That's where you, you, you will find truth because it's about the renewing of your mind. And that's actually the knowing comes from that. We we can't know it ourselves. It comes to us. It confronts us, and it's it's disquieting. It's it's not that grace. It, it it's a it's a confronting thing. So the the pains caused by man. So in that in in what you were saying about the the church has caused a lot of issues. We know that it's bad men in church that have all you know have caused the problems. It's not, the, it's not God himself hasn't done those things. And I think what the left try to use and they try to spin it that, you know, Catholicism and Catholic faith is bad because of all the people that have been abused oh, for years. Yeah. Whereas yeah. it's not God's word that's saying, doing that. It's, it's, it's men in a position to do that. Kind of thing. I don't, I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's, yeah. I don't think they should, I don't think people should understand the definition between God's word and what man does is two different things. I don't care if you're a priest, the pastor, or the pope, that you're man. It's, it does depend on what we def define by, we have to define our terms. So it depends on what you mean by pain, because the Bible speaks of a yes and a no, God's yes and no to humanity, right? So there's very clear commands that are, look, this is for life. The law is given as a gift to humanity, but humanity, because of the fallen nature of, of the human heart, is incapable of living that out. So hence Christ, right? God gives us Himself to, you know, grace to live that out and to to be transformed. As we've been talking about that transformative power of the cross, and that my, I've had this live out in my life. So, you know, it's it's no church and big concept that's ever saved me. It's the blood of Christ, and I'll credit that rather than any man any day. But as far as the pain goes. You know, broken men and women hurt other women, uh, hurt other men and women, and even children, unfortunately. So, um, the individual responsibility comes into play there. And you do have it, some churches have um, mechanisms in play to um, to discipline their members in a way that 
you know, make sure there's transparency and accountability. And that's just getting getting better and better over the years since the sexual abuse, um, you know, exposures and exposes and stuff like that. But as far as the the conversion ban ther- therapy ban things, I like it is. Like, as you said, it's very vague, it's, it's undefined, and that makes it a very poor law, and bad laws lead to bad government. Yeah, absolutely. And this is another thing that's happening in the schools. What I'm finding is, you know, these lecturers, you know, in the universities or teachers, they're very left-leaning, and they'll attack the right. They'll always be attacking the right. They'll attack figures like Trump or Pauline Hanson or whoever, but there doesn't seem to be any praising of their side or any defense of their side. So it's easy to attack, but if you don't have to defend your side, then you don't have to, you know, have judgment towards it. So that seems to be one of their strategies to attack the right, attack everything that we stand for, call us white supremacists and call us racists and call us, uh, you know, you know, demonize Christianity and things like that, but they don't actually, offer a real alternative that's really thought out. It's always these vague things that don't really make sense, but they're not thought out because then they can't be attacked as easily. And as long as they're on the attack, they don't have to defend their, their view. Do you, do you think that that's a part of it? I think, I think it's the nature of the attributes, the characteristics of wokeism or Mar- cultural Marxism, Marxism in general, uh, Samarian violets or that. A French lady, ex-communist, became came back to Catholicism early on, or sorry, later on in her, her career. Um, she called Marxism a badly constructed religion, and she mm. was spot on about that. So what you have is this group of people who exist in this sinless bubble. If you've ever looked at the intersectionality rubric, um, it's a brilliant book, The Coddling of the American Mind, Jonathan Haidt, an excellent book. Um, he, he unpacks this a bit. And he, he says the rubric is like this. On this line here, you have the oppressor and the oppressed. If you are white, you're automatically oppressed, oppressor. If mm. you are Christian, you're automatically oppressed. If you're a man, a man you're, uh, you know, you're automatically an oppressor. Yeah. And it, you don't get a say. It doesn't matter about your character. It matters what this particular rubric or this particular religion says about you. So – Whereas Christianity is very clear on that all have fallen short of the glory of God. This is Isaiah and, and Paul. Paul being a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees, who hunted Christians. You know, um, says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And the remedy for that is all, you know, Christ's blood, uh, John 3, 16. You know, we, go, we can go on from there. But coming back to, to the Marxism stuff, I mean, you have, it very much is a religion. And it, they play a zero-sum game. Uh, Jacques Alal in Propaganda talks about this in, in, in a lot of ways. He does talk a bit about corporatism in there as well, so the capitalist kind of issues with um, monopolies, which is, you know, trusted news news initiative. Um, very bad stuff, killing competition by claiming they're giving misinformation out when they're not. They're actually reporting the truth, as we're seeing through the Twitter files and, you know, you name it, thanks to Elon Musk. Um, yeah. But the, 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 the whole woke religion is that, they have their sinners and they themselves are sinless. And the only path to salvation is through uh, total subjugation. And you're never going to be free unless you completely align or become one of them. And if you look at radical feminism, 
Mary Daly said this, and a brilliant woman called um, Jean Bethke Elstein. She was an American um, political scientist who's uh, also dabbled in theology. Um, she was very much on classical liberalism, Augustinian um, city of God stuff, which is kind of where we, we get the roots of that classical liberalism. Um, and you can sort of tie it all in goes from there. But she said in, in her um, opus, private man, a public man, pri private woman, uh, she, she pointed to the extremes, especially the, the Marxist feminists and how they all link together. Mary Daly was one of them. And she basically said that you are not, uh, you're not an ally unless you become one of them. So in other words, a woman is not fully a feminist unless she becomes a lesbian. Uh, uh -huh. So you, which about conversion therapy here? Like, you know, you, you could start to really see some things here. If you look at the, the drag queens in libraries and things like that, and yeah. even kids going to drag queen shows, um, yeah. what's the go with that? What is, what is the intention behind that? Is, is it this whole of the theory that we've got to be open-minded? Uh, well, does, that's, a, you know, that's a very good point. Is that uh, and there's going to be a drag queen story time in the Northern Beaches later this month? Someone sent to me, but is that could that not be classified as conversion therapy? Right, that's right. How do how do we how do we define it? But because the the law is being uh, apparently seemingly being defined by Marxists and you know your, your weak conservatives or so called conservatives voting for it because it feels good, it looks good. They don't want to be tarnished by the straw man propaganda yeah. that you know like the vote thing. You're racist if you don't vote yes. Blah blah blah. It's the same with same-sex marriage in 2017. If you vote no, you're a bigot. You're a phobic. You're this. And, you know, it comes back to some of the things that Jonathan Haidt said in Coddling of the American Mind. And even Roger Scruton said this, you know, the famous British philosopher, um, legend in his time. Uh, they've politicized phobias. So medical, they're actually putting themselves as a medical professional saying you actually have a mental illness because you disagree with this particular um you know, lifestyle or yep. someone's particular you know, thing here. And if you go to Rod Dreher's book, Live Not By Lies, you see that kind of connects together with the, the, the communists and how they used to imprison people and then give them shock therapy treatment because why wouldn't they believe in socialism? Because it is the pinnacle of human evolution where everybody is equal, which we know is a complete load of lie. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah so... Bulldust. So you you know that you know that, that that religious aspect is in there and that that fervency is in there. But it is a very they very play a very much a zero sum game. So they don't care about what we think. We can have a reasoned argument. They still don't care. They're still going to push it through and vote for it regardless because they have an agenda at play and it is to push their doctrines, their false doctrines and their falsehoods on the people and on a docile and um, dumbed down populace. Because they can, they can just get people to vote with their feelings, you know. Yeah. I mean, look at COVID, right? You, you, all you've got to do is say, This is bad, fear it, and we're gonna look after you. And you end up with daddy government on steroids, ridiculous. Yeah. And then you get people supporting it. I mean, I clashed with some people in um in the marches, the reclaim the the, the line marches that my family went to. There's a, a, an older couple that came up to me and said, Oh. So what's all this about? Clearly bait, trying to bait me. And I said, well, it's, you know, just about concerns about informed consent. And then they got a little hostile and started to know exactly where they were coming from. And I said, well, it's in the Constitution, the medical conscription. And they said, are you, are you a constitutional expert? Are you? Are you? 
And they're like, they wouldn't. I said, no, but it's what, do you, what does medical conscription mean? What about informed consent? What are we what are we surrendering here? And they, they go, they go, you know, and they just walk away. Right? They didn't even want to hear an argument. I just yeah. they're in the mindset that the hive mind is set in, they're locked into that. And we can thank um as much, you know, as much as the ABC has some good points, we can definitely thank the ABC for its propaganda during COVID. And you know, I don't know. I, I kind of mocked it saying it. People lived under the under the bed hooked on the ABC during COVID and it just wasn't good, man. Well, the Constitution's there and, you know, legislation's there to be read and interpreted. So, you know, like you don't not, it's, you, don't, you don't have to be a constitutional expert to read the Constitution and then form your opinions on what you believe on it. You know, that's where they're, they're wrong already, like just by saying that. Otherwise, it wouldn't be written or you would have no access to it because you wouldn't be able to interpret it because you have to have certain, like, criteria to be able to read it. And then you'd be told yeah. what it is. So, you know, you, we've got access to all this and, you know, it's, it's only it's words. You just figure out what the meanings of the words are and then you can put it together and, and draw your own conclusion. Yeah, it's you common know, sense. It's, stuff, yeah, really. it's common sense, right? And that's what common law is anyway. It's the consensus of, of the people. In, in Well, there's there's some problems with that. And Augustus Zinnemann, he he um, yeah. he rightly brings some critiques in there and so does um, Gerard Rennick, uh, yeah. LMP, brilliant, brilliant guy. He uh, he basically went in with the platform of constitutional reform. Uh, and the, 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 the genius of that is basically that um, there's been too many, uh, too much interpretation to the point where the constitution is pretty much meaningless. Mm-hmm. So it's being twisted to say something it never, never meant to say mm-hmm. uh, by legal eagles, uh, jargon and things like that that have come into play. And, uh, you know, I can definitely see that, especially with medical conscription. So, um, you end up with the people believing the bureaucrat, especially the unelected bureaucrat who seems to, you know, has a law degree over the constitution itself, you know, and that's, for me, that's pretty dangerous stuff. And it, it, I don't know how much more clear the constitution could be on that particular issue as far as informed consent goes and pres- preserving informed consent. But it it didn't, didn't trump the fear, you know, or, or the propaganda that was out there. And, um, I think that comes back to the the point I talked about classical education. You're not preaching, you're not teaching civics or theology or logic anymore in the schools. If they do, it's definitely a watered down or one sided version that uh, favors what you would call cultural Marxism. And so you have all these little kitty Marxists being raised up in the system um, who are taught what to think, not how to think. And that is a that's a huge problem for Australia in the future, especially if we don't start to encourage our children in our homes to think uh, for themselves and put books in their hands instead of devices. Yeah. Yeah. Get yeah. rid of the iPads and put Lego in there in front of them. Make them build something. <laughs> I've got no know? problem with tech, man. I, I'd like tech. And I mean, I love a lot of video gamer. I love video games. I mean, who, who doesn't? Something. But th- there's a limit to how much you've got to have boundaries. You know, they're really important. And with my kids, we've always got a saying that technology is a tool, not a toy. And yeah. and that's uh, I think that's that's valuable, especially when you look at things like the latest article is about TikTok and uh, oh, yeah. Sydney Watson raised some issues about the deliberate um, you know confusion of, of of people and the undermining of society through that. And uh, she's backed up by a few other people who are quite good. And and uh, so the article you know, sort of d- jumps into that a little bit, but. Um, 
you know, as far as devices, Gary, it is a tool. Um, yeah, I would, I would always tell my kids, jump into Britannica, not Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, better to go there than, than here. And still, even then, grab a book. Don't, don't grab the, you know, don't Google it. So, um, you know, we, we do the best we can to, as, a, as a homeschooling family to encourage our kids to engage with logic uh, in that sense that they can then formulate arguments based on authoritative um, evidence and, and opinions and, and commentary rather than, you know, something that they've read in a meme somewhere or seen someone on TikTok say, um, yeah. So helping kids think, giving them a toolbox to for which to think and then, you know, moving out from there. Am I right in saying that you've got five kids? Correct. Yes. Crazy man. <laughs> I don't know how you do, and you homeschool as well. How do you how do you do it? Oh well, we're pretty much finished. Um, the we're in the, like the autumn years of homeschooling, so we've got three three graduates, our HSC graduates, um, and they're all with tertiary qualifications now. Um, we've got two that we're just sort of moving through that that arena as well. So um, yeah, we're we're in, in the twilight years as far as homeschooling goes, but it's about balance, mate, and um and passion i think you've really got to be um called to it but i think every parent is called to it you know if you're a parent you're you're a home educator i don't care you know there's no special class or any special thing that you're teaching your kids and as i said before it's important to put a book in their hands i mean we've got to be careful not to be luddites and say look you know technology is bad i don't think it is i think it's just a matter of um educating kids nurturing them into the use of it um, and making them fully aware of, of the, the issues with some um, online safety and things like that. Like we have a rule in our house, basically, that no one gets iPhones until they finish their HSC or, or, or you know, smartphones, and they don't have social media until they're after uh, after year twelve. Yeah, yeah um, well, well. doesn't mean that they can't access, um, you know, Britannica and things like that. But it's all got a purpose. It's all driven by um, and guided by boundaries that I think is super important because young kids they need, you know, they, they don't need that stuff pumped into them. I know that uh, um, I wrote a piece for Dads for Kids on teen suicide and social media, and um, that's kind of a, a lot of silence over. Nobody really wants to talk about the connection between the two, and you've got people going, oh, there's no connection. There's no con-. Well, there is a connection. And um, I've even had people talk to me about how their kids feel bullied online and how they're, they're bullied in school, and that's carried online. It's manu- magnified online. Um, and I think it's just a parent's duty to – hey, you know what, that stays out there. You know, there's this thing that used to be that you kept your professional life and your, your personal life separate because it was yeah. healthy to do that, right? Yeah. And these days with smartphones, your professional life is blurred. You know, your people are bipping you and the, the messages and stuff like that. Hey, you know, you got to do this, got to do that. Well, you know, turn the phone off. Um, I have a, what's called a social media-free Sunday or a social media-free Saturday depending on, you know, what – what's required at the time and uh, I try to practice that as much as possible, just good, good mental health, right? Um, and the kids, you know, as they get older, we encourage them to think, you know, that they don't need to be attached to it all the time. And, uh, again, the, the premise is that technology is a tool, not a toy, and we have to, um, I think, remind kids that, that again, individual responsibility, um, but parenting has a huge role in that and saying that, and dad, dad in particular, because you know he's he's the authoritative voice. Many much of the time, regardless of what the feminists say, as I said, traditional gender roles are important. They're healthy. They can when they get a they get unhealthy and toxic is when they uh, when they're abused. 
and yeah. I've seen both sides of that. I've been in a very abusive upbringing at home and my family now and worked really hard to to move through my own issues with that so I can see you know, being in both camps. You know, one is a house of slavery, one is a house of freedom, but still traditional gender roles. They're healthy and, you know, kids need a mum and a dad, that kind of stuff. Um, and if you you can you can engage kids in a level that shows them respect um, and not content. You know, I was raised in the whole kids are to be seen, not heard kind of environment. Um, that'll set them up for failure in society in the future because you get them in a social setting. They will not talk unless they're spoken to. And, you know, you know that's going to just traumatise a kid in the future when they get around other peers and things like that. Just about that. So your children, so your children have been homeschooled from woe to go. Um, no, how, we, how, yeah. we we had them in. Um, we did have them in. in we had them in daycare um, for some. A few of them went in daycare. A few of them were in actual school. It took me three years to come around to homeschooling. My wife was like cool, keen, but me, I'm like no way. <laughs> so I'm a reluctant convert, mate. Really. And then irony of ironies, um, my wife goes and does a. a uh, a qualification because we just needed to go in that direction and i just finished my my degree i thought well why not apply that here so i did that and i ended up homeschooling the kids and so i've been like the homeschool dad for you know some years now but uh, for, yeah. for anyone that's thinking about it that hasn't dived into it yet do you have any advice for them and did you get any pushback from authorities or, or schools about homeschooling um uh, look um i think more so from family um they were uh, not that they think we couldn't do it, but this, the whole, this is just pioneering territory. We have no idea what this means. Uh, this might not be good for the kids. And, um, like, you know, I, I knuckled down, prayed about it hard, and just like, okay, the Lord wants us to go in that direction, so we, we'll, we'll do that. It was a real strong conviction, and so we went in that direction. But as far as getting started, we do your research. That's what we did. We went and spent time with um, other homeschool families. And while the kids were still at school and stuff, and we, we had a look at what they were doing and um, we just did we did our homework. You know, you, you really got to pre- prepare for that uh, because Australia has it's, – it's getting better, but curriculum, it doesn't really exist. And, and not only that, but because the government disincentivizes homeschooling through the family tax benefit, uh, you can't receive that unless you're registered as a homeschooler in New South Wales in particular. Mm. In Queensland, I think, I don't know if they've changed this, but from memory it was you can't homeschool unless you have an education degree or your child has a disability of some kind. Um, so the, the the states and the governments tried to disincentivize it. The Greens tried to ban it outright in New South Wales. There was this massive inquiry. And you know, homeschoolers did okay. A few of them fumbled. Um, but... You know, on the whole, they, they did quite well, and it turned out that it wasn't this uh, homeschooling as child abuse thing that the Greens platform was trying to push through. Um, and then so the New South Wales government, you know, met with parents and then we came up with this thing. I wasn't part of that, but uh, so when I say we, I mean the homeschool community came up with it and met with them and they, they partnered with this thing. So it's a lot more information from NESA now about uh, how to homeschool, what kind of things you need to homeschool. And the, the Australian curriculum's... Uh, something you, you should sort of aim to work with. Um, but I think for deeper learning purposes, so classical liberalism, we're talking um, classical education, whether Latin or Greek or uh, theology, you know, um, logic and, and civics, those those are really important things because I think if you if you go with that, you're going to cover most of the, 
the, the Australian curriculum anyway. And there are ways around the indoctrination stuff from the like critical race theory. I, I wouldn't avoid that completely. I would definitely bring that as an opposing viewpoint to kids, and I've done that with my kids. They know about LGBT theory and ideology. They know about the examples. Um, uh, they've seen the, the anti-Trump rallies, even though Trump was you know pro LGBT, uh, and the the uh, hypocrisy, the idiocy of it, like the so. I haven't raised them in a, a, a sacred bubble. Be very aware of that. Um, but at the same time, you still have to guard, as um, Ben Davis said recently, and he's a, the boss, right? It, it, it was very, very apt. Um, dads guard the screens as well as guarding your homes, right? Because yeah. you're getting these guys coming into your homes um, without you knowing about it. You know, these guys are theories and, and all sorts of things. They're harming kids, and you've got to make sure that we're on the ball with that. But, um, mm. Uh, yeah, so homeschooling very, uh, very difficult at times. But uh, just because our society is just not—it's not adept to it. It just—it's so foreign to a lot of Aussies because we've been taught that you've got to go yeah. through the conveyor belt system, yeah. and the mentality is there that if you're not doing that, then you're doing something wrong. Well, when the reality is, every parent is empowered, naturally empowered to educate their children yeah. um, in that system, and the further that that we can move away from that conveyor belt system, um, the better our society is going to be because then government doesn't have its fingers in the pie and it's not pushing these, you know, the woke religion or its acronyms into the system such as they're doing with daycare and other other public system edu you know, education stuff. It kind of waters the focus down a little bit too because at the moment we know that the schools so, with the schools being so left-wing, that you're getting all the kids kind of learning that same kind of left side of things, right? Whereas if more people were homeschooling and, you know, going to alternate schools and, and things like that, you, you've watered it down a little bit. You're still going to get some that are getting the full-on full, full on left ideology. <clears throat> and, but, you know, through your home, it's watered down. Through another home, it would be watered down. It would be all – so then you would have a lot more different thinking people coming together to try and create an idea i'd say uh, i'd say it's 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 oh, it may be filtered watered down um yeah I, I like that term but i'm not sure i'd use that i think filtered is probably better because you filtered, spit out yeah. eat the fish spit out the bones right yeah um so feminism for example there, there's a legitimate critique there a little legitimate critique of of um the patriarchal abuse okay but that goes to extremes yeah, okay, men have abused their roles as as providers. I mean, you look at the fatherless society we have today. I mean, abortion serves a man who doesn't want responsibility or commitment. Yeah. But it's, you know, sold as reproductive health care or yeah. um, health care in general. I mean, even that's so there's a reasoned arguments there against abortion for that. And yet they want it on demand up until pretty much up until birth, which is infanticide. Mm -hmm. So that's what they always do. They always take a small thing that most people would agree with and then just push it too far. Take the agenda way well, too far. Yeah, excess is always a problem in any kind of movement. Even in the church, you have excess. And it's it takes bold courage to um you know, lions basically to shout down the wolves and mm. to, to keep the wolves at bay. So the courage of lions that um they come back to Cauldron Pool. I mean Aslan, right? He um he defends the the kids 
and uh, against the white witch and lion witch in the wardrobe. So there's, you know, there's, a, there's a metaphor for that, even for dads. And it's a great book to give your kids. I mean, you know, don't watch the Netflix version. Give them the books. If they haven't read the books, don't watch the Netflix version. Um, but, yeah, there's – Education is, a, I think, a parent's responsibility, especially dads. I and mean, dads, are, man, we're missing that. I miss my dad. You know, he was a, he was a, he was deadbeat. But my goodness, man, I missed him. And, and if he died in 2015, and um, he was never there for me, never there for anything that I did, uh, never at any kind of graduations. Um, usually, he was always there with a put down on the phone or some kind of smart remark somewhere. Um, yeah, so it, it, that fatherless snuff I feel pretty, pretty, um, pretty keenly. But it's it's up to us as men to step up, you know, as dads and really do our bit, uh, regardless of the the tide flowing against us or coming at us. The waves you know, we're gonna we're gonna stand our ground and um, because they're coming for our kids, you know, yeah. it, left, right, and center, and, and even those on the right. Some of them they're still pushing through stuff and they're just they're letting it go through. They're not arguing. Look at Morrison. I mean. He, he had such promise, and yet, look what happened post two weeks to flatten the curve. The national cabinet comes into play, and then you have yeah, just chaos, man. This is crazy. Then, and, he, be- then yeah. he became the cabinet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now I'm easy, so. We're so getting towards the end now. You've given us a lot of time, but I just want to cram in there, dads for kids. Can you just um, run us through what that is? Well, it's an outreach to men, basically. We, I think that a lot of men. Um, are not catered for properly in society. And they, that that just comes from the you know the misunderstanding what about what it means to be a man and the, the rejection of the traditional gender roles and things like that. Um, and so, man, I I think it's really important to have things like that um, to uh, for dads to just go to or men just go to and have a look at and read through and uh, you know they, this makes sense and, and the real the real um, purpose there is to just Give men a real, uh, a real voice, to so they can just like, hey, you know, I read this. Like I wrote about eagle parenting the other day, and you know, I'm not a nature lover at all. I mean, I go out with my my wife and family, and she'll go, oh, that bird's that, and that bird's that. You, you can point me to a fighter plane or, you know, a, a, a gun, and I'll tell you exactly what that is, right? Yeah. Or yeah. Birds and stuff and animals. My wife's like, yeah, yeah, that's what that is. I'm like, I hear what I don't know what that is. So, you know, we have a, we have different interests. We have our own unique. Um, role to play and that difference is very very important and if that's absent from a kid's life there's a voice missing and i know i've experienced that right so um dads for kids is kind of like it's either empowerment encourage them um through written word and um you know in the podcast i think they've done some podcasts as well um but yeah it's i think it's an important outreach for men um, and what, what are the training courses Training courses, I haven't really looked at those too much, but it's it's um, for Warwick Marsh. He's the the editor, and he's one of the main guys that runs that. Um, and they put together uh, courses and, and things that men can participate in. Like they they do like uh, web seminars and things like that, just to give give guys tools, uh, basic stuff, you know. Um, that would, and even that to go dig a bit deeper and and just to remind men that it's okay to be men, you know. And this is. Yeah. You're a dad, and this is what it means. Because there, there, there's a lot of dads out there who don't actually know how to be a dad. You know, I struggled with that. I was like, "Whoa, you know, how do I be a good dad? Not just to be a dad, but how to be a good dad, and, and not fumble the ball." And so, there, you know, things like that are, are really important to just tools to equip 
to empower and to to raise up and so that you know that in a way you're providing sort of an antidote to the despair that's out there and uh you know i know a lot of guys probably turn to substance abuse in order to try and self-medicate some of that stuff away because you know they might not feel as though they've got an answer but you know we can give that the sort of head start there were unlocked doors of maybe i didn't think of it like that before and you look at that and and go okay you know that's that's probably something i could look into and it's a starting point anyway and you can go from there it's not about preaching um anything to anyone it's about just saying look this is how it is this is what you can do empowering that individual responsibility as a father to um recognize that you have a unique role and a unique responsibility in many respects of a vocation a god-given call in your life to step up and be that in your child's life and you're the only one that can do that because you can be replaced at work. You can't be replaced at home. No. You know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I love that. I love this um, Dads for Kids. I'll, I'll have a look over it too because um, when I went through my first divorce and, um, well, my first and only divorce and hopefully I never go through one again <laughs> because that, that, that is not easy. And when I did some, I went through Catholic care and had to do some, you know, um, communicating with the the ex kind of courses and all these kind of things, you know. And all the dads in there were kind of, you know, they get lost, you know, and then they lose their ability to, to stay good dads. Not everyone, but they can lose their, their ability to stay a good dad and they get impatient and then they know, like, they don't, you know, I was telling them that, you know, like the, the, the other parent can sometimes, you know, really poison the child against the, the dad you know and, and let's face it it's a bit of a it's not it's not completely one-sided it does happen both sides both ways we've got to we've got to remember that but from my experiences the, the men that I was speaking to they you know they, they they lose how do you stay a good dad when you you work you're working full-time you're fighting for your children you're fighting an ex and the other parent trying to see your children then you're copying flack from your children because they're being a little bit you know mum washed or other parent washed you know um with with programs like this where they can have ideas and have a bit of encouragement and you know and understand i guess that you know it's it's they're not feel, you know the way they're feeling is okay and then they have to just have a bit more strength to move on and that's what i was trying to do because i didn't get too affected by all of that i, I was in i was in for the fight of my life and i knew i was in for the fight of my life and i also when i was in those catholic care courses also i was true and just trying just to rev the other guys up just to keep fighting you know they lose houses they lose all their money they lose their children and then they still got to you know turn up the next day and try to be a good dad so i think any tool for for dads you know i think we are definitely left out and we're definitely you know demasculized and um ostracized and um as you said you know we're a white middle-aged man you know you're the oppressor i mean we're that's how we've been brought up now like you know we are I think we're probably the, the, the most villainized thing on earth at this point in time, being a white middle, middle-aged, middle-class man. Um, I've said that a few times. I've said on public record as well. So any tool that we have for children, uh, sorry, any parent we have, any tool that we have for parents and dads. And, um, you know, it's as I said, it's not one-sided. It happens on both sides. But dads need a bit of help too. And um, I think that's a good thing that you're doing there, Rod. Thanks, I really well, that's what you're talking about. The start of that was parental alienation. It's actually a, it's it's a psychological abuse. I wrote an article on this mm. um, about two weeks ago, I think it was, and had a few guys comment on that. So obviously, that 
struck a chord. Um, I witnessed that. I mean, my, like, my dad was a daddy, but I mean, he was he was treated real bad by the system. Yeah. Like, he had a uh, he, him and his second wife they separated like four or five times. He had two kids, three kids actually. One of them died for SIDS. When his son died, he didn't really have the support um, around him. Um, his second one had the family net, like really strong family. He had no one. Um, and that he had mental health issues and that just pushed him further um, yeah. into those. And he just sort of went into it. So he got worse and worse and worse. And so I think as I write in that article, I think parental alienation, it's a pox on the family court system. Yeah. It's got to end. And I'm not the only one that's saying this. There are people within the system who are saying, because it's not good. Um, it's got to end. But because you have this favoritism, Within that um, judicial system, uh, it's not good. Yeah, it's just not good, man. And so that's that's that's, that's um, I think it's just destroying a lot of men. A hundred percent. And, and uh, again, it's probably designed to do that in order to push the case through quickly. If you can demonize the father, then you can get a quick outcome. Um, and you still get paid at the end of the day, but you know, because it's backlog, the system is backlog. I mean, in the article, is it? I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was an example of some ridiculous thing that it, it's, it's this kind of stuff that's blocking the system, you know. And dads, yeah. some dads get it wrong. We know this, and I know this firsthand. Some dads get it dead wrong, and they, 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 but you know, there, there's no. The father no, is proven. Sorry, you the can father come back is from that. The father is guilty until proven innocent. And due process is important, yes. Right? No, but the father is guilty until proven innocent. It's not the opposite. It's meant to be innocent until proven innocent. Yeah, that's guilty. what I mean. Due process yeah. is important, but it's been thrown out. So you have, like, you know, all sorts of bad stuff going on. But that parental alienation, which is what I'm talking about, if, yeah. if that can be tackled first and first, and so you guys get elected, for example, that's something yeah. you should take. Bill started to yeah. tackle with it. You know what I mean? I think actually, yeah, in, in South Australia, I think uh, one of the One Nation guys was talking Fair about game. how they're removing fathers from, I can't remember the, the legislation off the top of my head, but I do know about it. It's it's anti-dad, it's not good, and it's just going to make the system worse. But yeah. that's parental alienation in, in a nutshell. But it's, yeah. So what they want to do actually, so they want to actually, criteria they're going to delete, meaningful involvement with both parents, children's right to know both parents, parents jointly share duties and care, and parents should agree on future parenting. Right? That's what they're cutting out. So they're the they're the they're the legislate that's the they're the rules or the legislation, the wording that they're cutting out. So they're basically saying that men got nothing. If you it's it's already bad as it is, okay, but I'm lucky in my situation I was able to actually win custody of my child, okay? It only took seven years and all the money in the world, but it, it happened. And and it, don't worry about the money, but it's just one of those things. You've got to be prepared to lose everything, okay? But um, if, if, if these rules came into place and they, they got rid of this wording, you, you, you wouldn't even go, you wouldn't even bother because it's you, you're just basically in your cannon fodder. You wouldn't go into yeah. it. Yeah, it's, it's dangerous, and that, that's that whole parental alienation thing. That's more yeah. of like an, a, an extension of that. I don't think it's not fixing it at all. It's making it worse. Oh, that's hundred um, percent making it worse. Right. It should be. It really should be. Actually, when I went through it, I was kind of like, you know what? If you go in there and you got to take the money out of the equation because people fight about the money, okay? So yeah. what happens is anything you've got, 
okay, everything should be sold, all your debt should be paid, okay? Like, so you have to, like, if you have property, cars, or blah, 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 right? Everything gets sold, and then all the banks get their money because that's just the way it's got to be, okay? Then whatever's left over gets split in half, so that's done. So you both, so you don't have any choice in this, okay? So, uh, look, I'm, it's a bit extreme, but this is what I was thinking for myself. It's just sell everything, the banks get paid, you, you're at zero. The money gets split, you might get five, 10 grand, 20 grand each. That's it. The kids, it should be 50-50, straight up off the bat. There should be no there should be no option. And then it should be up to either or partner to prove that the child shouldn't be with the other partner on such a permanent basis, right, due to aggravated violence and, viol- and you know, substance abuse and mental health and whatever it is, okay? But you should all go in day one basically knowing that the money's that's it, everything's sold. Money split, parents come in at 50-50, and then it's up. So you're all on the same playing field straight up off the bat, and then it's up to the, either parent to, to, to prove to the court their case of why maybe I would have to have or one would have to have 70% custody and the other one would have 30% because of, you know, mental health is not able to do this, can't do this, work situations, schooling, because it's complicated as hell. You know, so what happens yeah. is, and then the parents should have say in this, and then the judge has to be the ju- judicial, the judiciary, because what happens is you you broke you you know you couldn't get together when you're in love with each other, and now you're broken apart and you, your relationship's over. You're never going to agree on anything anyway. So then it should be evidence based, you know, and that was the biggest part that I went through, and um, just on all this is what the parent, the other parent, could just say whatever the hell they wanted. And there was no repercussion then for when you could prove that it was lies and defamatory and all that kind of stuff. And then what happens is, and they, there was no repercussion for them. And But for me, it meant I had to then, the next six court dates that we had was me going through to find evidence to prove that that didn't happen, that that actually was in fact lies, and then I actually should still deserve to see my child. And that would happen three or four times. Sorry, long story short, in the end, because this is all kind of the devil's court system, the whole, you know, there's yep. no there's yep. no ju- jury of peers or anything in this court. It's the judge and you. Um, so what happens is you um, – that I, I spoke to a lawyer at the end of it um, and she said all they're, tried, all they're basically trying to do is bankrupt the father so that then, then he has to pull out, the kids go to the, children, uh, to the mother – and you're done. The court's over. Case closed. So they, that could happen in six months, or that could happen in, tw- in in a year. I'm very tenacious, and I just dig my heels in, and I went for it. So you know, six seven years later, I just kept fighting, and they couldn't break me to to win like that. And then they had to come with substance, and there was no substance. And then in the end, I won, right? Um, but in saying that too, I'm, there's no hold. There's no grudges. My daughter also still gets to see her mum, speak to her mum and, and all that kind of stuff, and she's grown up happy and healthy. So I'm very, very proud of that whole situation. What what I feel towards the mother that has not reflected through for my daughter. So I just want to make that clear for the people watching because otherwise they get, you know, freak out, you know. But um, we're all good. But just with that, that's with all that parental alienation and all that kind of stuff. Mm. That's what they, you're right. That needs to be tackled and that should be should be. In. That's the first thing that needs to be done. I mean, as I, as I say, that the, the why it's so complicated, the family court system, is because it's highly subjective. There's a lot of emotion involved, and it's very hard to, get to to pull that out. But my advice to dads comes from a book called Who's to Blame? And the worst thing they can do is make themselves a villain in a situation, mm-hmm. right? So 
the, the, it was written by a psychologist, and he just basically says, talking about victimhood, victim mentality, if, you, if someone is a, a victim of a situation, uh, especially men, and they're definitely, you know, you, without a doubt, they're, they're innocent, um, it's just got to be you go through the whole motions and everything like that. The worst thing they can do is, is act out, lash out, you, you know, act on their emotions and lash out. It's just the worst thing they can do because then it just plays into the hands of the system and they bang, you know, they've, they've got you. And you, you end up becoming the villain. You're no longer the victim, you're the villain. And that's yeah. uh, that's the worst thing you can do. So my advice to dads would be in, in situations, you know, I've seen happen to my dad, um, you know, calm, cool and collective, keep it as reasoned as possible, um, you know, steer clear of the, the vengeance stuff because you leave that with God. I mean, he, he'll, he'll take care of that. Um, and just release that and, you know, don't make yourself a villain. And it's very hard to do that. I know it's very hard in, in situations where, you know, kids are involved, man, because I've seen it. I've seen my dad break down, you know, I mean, not good. But um, Mate, you, you, know, swear, you, you swear in court once, you swear in court once and it'll set you back five years. Um, you know, and the best piece, and just to follow up with what you were saying about advice, if I can give advice to anybody, you know, because of my experience, would be that my lawyer said to me, very, very good lawyer, I love that, my lawyer, amazing. Um, don't say or do anything you wouldn't want a judge to see or hear. That's If that if that could sum up everything that you were saying, okay, because yeah, God, God is the ultimate yeah. judge, we know that, okay, but with within unfortunately in man's law in man's world that we you know all every day fight through right um don't do anything that a judge don't say or do anything that you wouldn't want a judge to see or hear and then that and that was that that no matter how bad it got and how many times i really got my face like the book thrown in my face i just would go thank you very much your honor and we would walk out and we would hold ourselves and um we just kept doing it and persistence won. You know, you know. At the end of the day, it's not the judge that you're really trying to impress, and not the judge is setting an example for your kids. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. how you conduct yourself in that situation? I know it's flipping hard. I know oh. the emotions are tearing you apart, but how you carry yourself through that is going to set an example for your kids. Yeah. And you don't want to go down the wrong track. You don't want to no. go down the dark, down that dark alley, throw yourself into the abyss, because you know that's just. They're going to see that, regardless of whether the mother brainwashes the kid, and we know that happens, and you know the dads can do that too. But um, um, the the kids are, the, are going to see this example, and they're going to say, you know what, that was a tough situation, but my dad carried himself through that, or he got through that through his faith, and you know that that uplifted him. And I want to be like that. You know, no matter what comes at me, I'm going to stand, and I'm going to, and that that's. That life skills right there. That's homeschooling right there. You know, even though that situation is dark and dangerous and, and all mess, messy and complicated, the worst thing you can do is, is throw yourself at the mercy of, you know, I think the, the devil in this case and um, end up tearing yourself away from any positive influence on your kid at all. And, you know. Because it ends up shaping who the, what, what the, kid, the child becomes. If they Absolutely, see, yeah. yeah. They see your parents act a certain way, good or bad, it's going to shape who they become eventually. So it is extremely important. It just keeps the circle. 
So yeah. if you if if you act out and be violent and carry on and do this, and you you that your kids will see that no matter what, they'll feel it on you. Whatever it is, they'll they'll do that. If you sh- if you hold yourself up high and you know and you do and and I you you know you do is you pray, you pray all the time, you know, especially if you're a person of faith. I mean, you pray, every day you pray and you know that you know God don't let me slip up or give me the strength to keep going. I mean, uh, that I'm um, the, the, the best saying that, you know, the, the, in the, the, in the Bible, you know, I'm Catholic and I'm Christian and, but I just, I don't, I mum, I don't know like what, you know, with the Bible, but um, you know, when you're walking in the sand and you look back and you only see one set of footprints and then Jesus has carried you or God has carried you the hard distances, but you, you know, that, that, that parable. That's a, um, that's a poem. Yeah. That's a poem, yeah, not um, a parable. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's a poem. Is that in the it's, a, it's an inspirational poem, and I, I like the, the imagery of it. But it's it's definitely um, it's a poem that's drawn from um, bringing your burdens to the Lord. Where he says, you know, bring these burdens to me, and I'll um, you know carry them for you. Basically, they're not. You still have you still have the responsibility of, of carrying, but it's His burden. It's 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 His that are light and they're they're easy. So yeah, it's kind of like built on that. But yeah, it, it, the imagery is nice it's it's definitely inspirational and it you know in prayer you you, you are lifted in in um reading the scriptures you 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 counsel through that um and that's what that we're talking about the start of this the transformation and the power of the cross right the the the, the blood of christ that, that is shed for us is transformational and it's it's living and the bible itself is living we are a part of that living word and that revelation of god that um exists for us in not to tear us away to imprison us to for slavery to sin but to set us free from sin but not that we are free to sin but free from sin so we, we carry that through that and we talk about the parental system the, the system the family court system parental alienation I and mean, we come back to that that thing all the fall and short of the glory of god you know and we we all are all sinners even mums and dads we get it wrong we make mistakes but at the end of the day, I think re-emphasize that to dads that they're setting an example for those kids in those court systems, even though we know that court system is stacked against them. And history will judge that. I'm certain of that. History will judge that. And we know that the the, the systems are set up and geared towards um, catering for women more than mothers more than they are for for, for dads. And we can go, okay, we understand that because there's a nurturing aspect to that that women have. But it's a bit ironic when you've got a society saying that traditional gender roles don't exist and yet the court system is saying there are traditional gender roles here that have to be upheld. So, hey, what's going on here? Come on now. You're confusing, confusing everyone. So look, just get it right. As I said this throughout, the, you know, I've mentioned a few times, traditional gender roles are important. They're healthy. When they become uh, toxic is when they are abused. And yeah. that's the same with like toxic masculinity. We get in, you know, get into that. My view of that is basically that those who preach toxic masculinity often have a toxic view of masculinity, and so they they project that prejudice onto uh, men. And um, maybe they've been hurt by a father, maybe they've been hurt by a husband uh, or a brother or, or something like that, and they're just like package that up into that. So all men are dogs, all men are you know Hollywood sort of stuff, right? Um, yeah, look, men are the we're probably some of the worst sinners around, but we are um, we're also we're also some of the best defenders and providers. You know, you who you count on in a foxhole. You know, I just explained to my daughter the other day. <laughs> Um, my my eldest son is quite you know he's he's a lot bigger than she is and um, I said 
if you're in a, you know, this, I think we've heard it before. Someone said it before. But if, if you're in a fire, your firefighters, and she's in there too, um, do you want her carrying, trying to carry him out of the, the situation, the emergency, or would you prefer him carrying you out of the situation in the emergency? And she, well, yeah, obviously it's him carrying her out of the situation because he's capable of doing it. He's he's stronger than she is. Um, and so, I mean, that that's, I know that's too simple, but it still carries a point, right? And that is that there are natural inequalities between men and women. Um, they have strengths. Women have strengths. We have we have strengths. There are limitations. There are limitations on our side. And there's yeah. that that beauty of um, that connection, that physiological connection, that man for woman, woman for man, both free for God, before God. There's a beauty in that. Uh, mm. As corrupted as that that is, and that that whole thing becomes because of the fallen world we live in. The father lies, Satan is out there playing his games, and, and the worst enemy is ourselves in a lot of ways. You know, we have to overcome that, the transforming power of the cross, transforming of the mind, not the emptying of it uh, or the opening up and spilling out everywhere, whatever. Yeah. So education, very important. Individual responsibility. Like I said, they're the sons and daughters of classical liberalism, of Christ-centered classical liberalism. I think that um, that is the antidote to the uh, hive mind in the children of cultural Marxism yeah. that are being raised up in the image of, you know, wokeism. Wow. Well, look, Rod, I've really, I've really enjoyed this episode. I'm sure Adam has as well. And we're going to have to have you on again someday because I think we've just touched the tip of the iceberg tonight. There's a lot more that we can go in depth and, and explore. Yeah, we probably could talk about lots. Yeah. But if people want to follow you, obviously they can follow you on Cauldron Pool, they can follow you on Dads for Kids. You also write for The Spectator, but how else can they follow you, maybe on social media or other places? Yeah, um, social media, Facebook, I've got a Facebook page, uh, Twitter as well. Um, but, yeah, just follow Cauldron Pool, follow Dads for Kids. That's really yeah. what I'm about, not about, you know, making myself known. Um, I'm a servant and I'm there to serve and that's what I do. So, I mean, I have my own web page, blog sort of thing. I put stuff up there from now from time to time, usually just cross-post articles from Coles and Pool um, or some stuff I think that might be important, like a video, something like that. But, um, yeah, look, I'm just serving. Just, you know, catch up with Coles and Pool. There's a lot of great writers there. Dads for Kids, some good stuff in that as well. Um, yeah, but if you really want to follow along and, and tag along, then, yeah, there's Twitter and then there's – I make myself available on Instagram as well. Sometimes I'll post some uh, – you know, barbecue smoking videos on there, stuff I've been doing. Oh, man, that's um, what I want to know so, about. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, some good stuff. Lamb's the best, mate. Well, I had some – I smoked a lamb yesterday, actually, lamb leg, and uh, with my son. We just, you know, got some rub put on it. And uh, we, we made it into a vindaloo tonight with some um, korma as well, smoked korma, smoked vindaloo. Left it overnight, you know, it's just easier to cut into chunks, throw it in. Super tender, man. It's like amazing, and and the oh, fat's yeah. all gone because the smoke just cooks. You know, the, the heat just cooks it out, and you get that really awesome smell as well. But anyway, that's another podcast, I guess, right? <laughs> no, 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 we have to do. We should do it. You know what? We no, should do a trip up to your house. That's what we that is. Do, we should do a blokes podcast, hey? Like a like one, just like like a blokey one, like you know about cars and smoking. Because I just bought a kettle myself out the back, and right. I just started learning how to. You know, I've done two lamb lamb roasts on it, and you know what, man, it just—it's the best day. Eh? It's just like yeah, it's good, it's so good. It's yeah. as it's as well. I don't know. It's as earthy as you can get, I guess. Other than cooking a chili over an open fire in a cast iron pot, you know, which yeah. we do as well, which is cool. I've even cooked a chili. I got a bullet smoker, so I cook a chili in that, and you get the smoke into the chili. It's oh man, it's all real good. Oh, so cast iron pot as well. I haven't eaten yet. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I haven't eaten either. 
I mean, neither. Thank you very much, Rod. I've really enjoyed this. Ah, thanks for having me, mate. Yeah, it's been good. Rod. And if you if you enjoyed this video just or this interview just just as much, please share it far and wide. Uh, you know we're on Rumble and Spotify, so please get that link out to everyone. And again, thank you, Rod. Thank you, Adam. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.